Well, as is fitting any time we are about to study God's word, let's ask God's blessing on our time. Join me, brief word of prayer. Well, Father, would you now grant me words beyond what my mind or heart could come up with on their own? Grant me a wisdom that comes from your words that point us to your son, Jesus, raised from the dead. Would you grant us eyes of faith to look into that empty tomb and see a marvelous mystery that will change us forever. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. It was April the 21st of 1986 when a TV extravaganza like no other aired live. It was called The Mystery of Al Capone's Vault. The host was someone you might know, our mustachioed friend, Geraldo Rivera. Turned out that the notorious gangster Al Capone had in one of his many leftover properties, uh, it had been discovered there were some vaults on the bottom floor of them that had been unopened up until that moment. As you might imagine, the intrigue was palpable. Geraldo did his best on live TV setting the scene. What could be inside? Guns? Illicit funds? Dead bodies? Who knows? It could be anything. For two hours, they stretched and stretched this mystery while the safe crackers and the bomb technicians readied themselves. And then while 31 million people were watching on live TV, the doors to the vault came crashing open. And all at once, they saw the same thing. Absolutely nothing. The vaults were empty, and there was only some debris, some trash. Other than that, there was really nothing inside. It was a complete letdown, and Geraldo's career looked to be ruined. He wrote, said about it afterward that he went straight from the TV special back to his hotel room, turned out the lights, unplugged the phone, and went to sleep. Sure, his career was over. Turns out that some mysteries, well, they're not worth the effort to find out the truth beneath them. On the other hand, some mysteries, well, the truth that is within them, that they contain, is more marvelous than we could possibly imagine. This morning, Easter Sunday, we get to peer inside of a mystery that was unveiled 2,000 years ago, a mystery that won't let you down. Now, a mystery more marvelous than you could possibly imagine the empty tomb of our Lord Jesus. There was a group of women that were the ones who stumbled upon this mystery. We're told that they were going to the tomb early on Sunday morning. They were walking around in the midst of a labyrinth of grief and sorrow. Their beloved friend, teacher, master Jesus had been killed. And not just killed in any way, killed in the worst of possible ways by being crucified on a Roman cross. As they saw his broken body on that cross, their hearts broke along with it. And they found themselves now with nothing to do except go through the motions of grief. They, they were coming to the tomb to, to do some small token of love, to, to bring spices so his body wouldn't stink so much as it decomposed. What they could not know, though, is that what they would find was a far different reality, an open door into a marvelous mystery. They come to the tomb, and what do they find? The, 
The door is open. That's not supposed to be the case. Those were heavy doors. They don't just accidentally swing open. Even more strangely, the body isn't there. Now, surely their minds started racing at that moment. What could have happened to the body of their beloved friend Jesus? Had his enemies come and stolen the body as a cruel joke? Had some mistake left it open and dogs or some wild animals had come and eaten the body? Or, or, or maybe there was some other explanation they couldn't grasp. While they were in the middle of all those perplexing questions, they get a heavenly interruption. Some angels show up. We're told they're in dazzling apparel. It doesn't mean that they got something really nice from the mall. It means they glowed with otherworldly glory. They had a sense immediately. They were having an encounter with heaven itself. And those angels are really the turning point in this story. They reveal that this is no ordinary happenstance. Now, this is a marvelous mystery that it will take them some time to fully understand. It's worth looking at what the angels say to them specifically. In verse 5, they say, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. They ask them a question as if it is the most strange thing in the world that they would be looking around in a tomb for the body of Jesus. Because, in fact... Jesus isn't there anymore. The dead man has gotten back up and is now walking again in the land of the living. You know, there are many things that have changed over 2,000 years. We have planes, trains, and automobiles. We have Bitcoin and blockchain and digital, uh, digital devices that people in past generations could never have dreamed of. We have mRNA technology to make vaccines. We have microscopes to study tiny particles. We have telescopes that let us look further than anyone could have possibly imagined a person could ever see. Our lives today are so very different than the lives of people 2,000 years ago. But do you know there's one thing that's absolutely the same? It's death. Every single one of us eventually will die. Last I checked, there is a 100% fatality rate for being human. And even more than that, people don't get up and move once they die. Dead people are remarkably easy to keep track of. They, they don't move. They, they're emotionless. Which means it's just as shocking today as it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus wasn't in that tomb. The question is, why? Their minds surely could not have understood exactly what had happened at this moment, but they were motivated into motion. They, they realized that something had occurred, and the angels gave them a bit more evidence to go on. They reminded them that Jesus had actually prepared them from this moment. He said, he is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while you were still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day, rise. It turned out Jesus had prepared his disciples for this moment by repeatedly telling them of his plan that he was going to accomplish. Uh, that is that he would be delivered over to his enemies, first the religious leaders of his day and then to the Romans. 
Then that he would be tortured and killed, nailed onto that Roman cross to die. But then, mysteriously, three days later, he would come back to life. His words were not unclear, but his disciples just weren't ready to hear it. They had a very different idea of what God's Messiah, what the king of God's people was supposed to be like, so they could not see into the mystery that was before them, right in front of their eyes. See, the people back then were living under great oppression. The Romans were not kind to those under their thumbs. They incurred heavy taxes. For, uh, the, the Romans exacted heavy taxes from the, the Jews. They, they also did very cruel things to them. At times, they stopped their worship altogether. There were constantly restrictions being placed on them. And as a result, the Jews in that day had an expectation that one day God would overthrow the Romans and put the Jews back on top, allow Israel to be a sovereign nation again under God's king, a Messiah. Now, for the Jews in that day, a Messiah was a victorious figure. He was someone that would come and right all the wrongs. He was someone that would win. He wasn't someone that ended up dying on a criminal's cross. Messiahs sit on thrones. They don't lay in tombs. So you can understand why the disciples had trouble accepting what Jesus said, even though he said it multiple times. And if they didn't believe that he was really going to die, how could they possibly believe that he would come back to life? But now he has come back to life. Now that tomb is opened and they can peer inside the mystery and in just a short time they will see something more marvelous than they ever could have imagined. His plan to accomplish his purpose from the beginning to bring salvation to God's people. The women, they, they don't fully understand all of this but notice in verse 8 it says they remembered his words. That's our clue that things have changed and they're never going back to what the way, way they were before. Th these women are moved to go out and tell the other disciples what had happened, to tell them of this mystery. They run back and find the rest of the disciples and tell them, Jesus isn't in the tomb. Now that's news too fantastic to believe just at someone's word. So they ran out themselves. And, and the scene ends with the most... Bold of the disciples, Peter, perplexed, marveling as he looks into the tomb himself and sees that is, it is in fact empty just the way they said it was. You see, that is the story of Easter. It is a mystery with a door wide open, inviting you to look in on God's plan and see something that no human mind ever could conceive. A, a mystery more marvelous than any of us ever could imagine. A story that can change your life forever. What was it that they saw in that tomb? Well, at one level they saw nothing. They saw some empty linen cloths and no body. But they also began over time to see something far greater. And I want to point your attention to three things that they would, over time, come to realize that Jesus rising from the dead surely meant. The first is that it meant he really was the Messiah. Jesus made lots of great claims about himself. Claims that needed, frankly, to be proved. 
He claimed to be the son of God from heaven. He claimed to be the one that will one day judge all of humanity. And he claimed to be the one, the only one, that can give us eternal life. How in the world could Jesus dare to claim things like that about himself? Uh, I, I know many of us are skeptical, maybe even a little cynical, when someone makes a great claim. Uh, maybe like me, you've been receiving a lot of unsolicited phone calls recently. And maybe you've had the misfortune to pick one up and hear that word, this is your last warning about a car warranty that is about to expire. Now, we have our guard up over people claiming to be someone or to offer us something because frankly, there's so many people trying to sell us something that we don't want to buy. But God saw fit to prove that all of Jesus' claims about himself were true. That he really was the king that will judge us all, the one with authority over heaven and earth, and yes, even over life and death. By Jesus rising from the, day, from the grave, we have truth, proof that he is God's king and that he is God's Messiah. Second, we have proof that he really did save us. Uh, Jesus' life was not just a, a random do-gooding life of virtue. He, he wasn't just a, a, a good teacher and miracle worker. He wasn't just an activist and philosopher. No, he was something much greater than that. He was a man on a mission. The son from heaven sent down to rescue sinners from their sins. Uh, that's why he had to live a perfect life so that he could give that life as a substitute for the penalty that sins deserve. At the, the resurrection of Jesus, we see proved that the cross of Jesus was an acceptable sacrifice. It is God the Father declaring, yes, Jesus' life given is sufficient to cover the sins of the whole world. The disciples, over time, would come to realize that by being raised from the dead, our forgiveness before God is guaranteed if we put our trust in Jesus. There was a third implication that they came to realize. It's that he really can give us eternal life. That he can give us life now and life that goes on forever, yes, even beyond the grave. If death couldn't hold on to Jesus then surely he can make sure it won't hold on to us also. If he could step back up from the depths of death to walk again in the land of the living, surely he can do the same for us. He promised that one day he will come back and that he will call the name of everyone that's ever lived to call us to come out of the grave to a new life, either to a life of eternal joy with him or to a life of eternal sorrow under God's judgment. The resurrection proves that he can make good on that promise, that he can promise you, friend, and make good on that promise for a day beyond the day of your dying. It also means, though, that there is a promise of life right now, that Jesus can use that same power of the resurrection to remake your heart this Easter Sunday, to give you a life full of joy and peace, a life that won't be undone by the sorrows and difficulties of his life. A, a, a life that trusts God, and yes, even a life that can please him by the power of his spirit within you. The disciples could not understand all of that all at once. 
It took them some time. But as little by little, they peered into that open door of the mystery of the empty tomb. As their hearts began to grasp the marvelous reality of Jesus risen from the dead, it transformed them into people that would turn the world upside down. And friends, 2,000 years later, that open door to the mystery of God's grand plan, it can change your life also. Why does this mystery matter for you? That's a good question to ask. Why talk about an old book, people that lived 2,000 years ago that you'll never meet? Well, because the resurrection has everything to do about the way you live your life and how the, the way you think about death. If you're a Christian here this morning, uh, I know that this has been a hard year. I've walked and talked and cried with many of you this year. We've dealt with loneliness. We've dealt with very tear-filled goodbyes and grieving. We've had our rhythms of life, the things that we draw so much comfort from, ripped away from us. And we haven't had any good idea of how long it would go on. I know this has been an extremely dark, depressing time for many of us. But would you remember the resurrection of your Lord Jesus? Would you remember that it shows us that the life following after him is not one absent of difficulty? It's not one without suffering and sorrow. No, it's one that has the power to live faithfully through suffering and sorrow. Jesus tells us to pick up our cross and follow after him. And that means there will be many days that feel like we are dying. And in a sense, we are. And yet, mysteriously, with his spirit empowering you, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead could give you the peace and joy and confidence to live faithfully through whatever God asks you to live through. I know this has been a hard year. Maybe this Easter, Jesus is wanting you to learn the lesson that his power is sufficient, yes, for your worst days in this world. Uh, maybe it's been a long time since you thought about your relationship with God. Maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you haven't been in church for some time. I wonder if one of the things God is doing in this pandemic for you is bringing you to a place where it's obvious that you don't have the resources in your own heart to live in a way that's secure and full of joy. God loves you too much to let you live with the illusion that you are good on your own. No, you are meant to live with the encouragement of other Christians and in line with the God who created you. And that can only happen when you rely on his spirit to live day by day the Christian life. Friend, if, if it's been a long time since you and God have had a conversation, maybe this Easter Sunday, you need to peer back into that empty tomb. Maybe you need to get on your knees. And in a way, maybe you don't even fully understand, you need to reestablish your relationship with God. He'll meet you wherever you are, friend. This Easter, would you live again by the power of his spirit within you? Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to reckon with what the empty tomb forces you to reckon with. 
What does it mean that 2,000 years ago, a man died and three days later came back to life? Uh, Maybe you don't think much about the fact that one day you'll die. Maybe this year, it's been unavoidable to think about it. Friend, it's a mercy of God when you realize that your life will not go on forever and that there's a mystery of what happens the day after you die. Will you just cease to exist? Are you just molecules bouncing until one day they stop? Or maybe what the Bible says, maybe what Jesus says is what's true of you. Maybe the day after you die, in some ways, is the most important day of your life. See, the message of the Bible is essentially this, that we were all created by God. We were intended to have a relationship with him full of love and joy and peace. And yet we have severed that relationship by ignoring the God who created us and in fact pushing him away, rebelling against him and trying to live on our own terms. The Bible calls that sin. And it tells us the penalty for sin in any form is death. It is punishment at the hands of the God who made us. None of us can live a virtuous or good enough life to avoid that punishment. On our own, the day after our dying would be one filled with sorrow. But God is also a God full of love and mercy. So he sent his son Jesus to come on a rescue mission to this earth. It was his plan to accomplish something from the very beginning. Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. He did that by living a perfect life. Each and every step he took perfectly in line with God's will. He did it by giving up his life, willingly dying on that Roman cross. That wasn't just an example of him being a victim. It was him accomplishing this, the payment for sins. While Jesus hung on the cross, God placed our sins upon him. He punished Jesus in our place so that God can forgive sins for anyone that trusts in Jesus. His life was given up, was an acceptable sacrifice. And that's why three days later on Easter Sunday, he came back to life. The life he he gave up, he took back up himself by the power of the Spirit. And that means, friend, that Jesus can offer you the things that your life is really meant to be about. He can guarantee you that you can be right with God now and forever. He can forgive every single one of your sins. I don't know what you've done. Jesus does. And he is ready to cover whatever sins you've committed with his very blood. But not only that, he can bring your heart back to life this very morning. He can take out your fear-filled, rebellious heart and replace it with one that loves God, that has joy and peace, and that can actually trust God through no matter how difficult of a day you might have to live through. Jesus offers that to you if you will simply trust him. If you'll turn from all the other things you've been trusting and trying to live for yourself, And instead, trust him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. If you do that, friend, you will know the mystery of Easter. A reality more marvelous than you could possibly imagine. That you are loved by God. 
accepted by him, that you are a dearly beloved member of his family, and that your life won't end on the day you die. No, in fact, it will just be getting started. I don't know where you stand with God this morning, friend, but if you don't yet know God through Jesus Christ, there's no greater gift that I can offer to you than to peer through that open door into the empty tomb to the marvelous mystery of Jesus raised from the dead. Now, I'm sure there's lots of questions you probably have, and I don't imagine that I can anticipate all of them or answer them myself. But what I will gladly offer to you is if you are wanting to know more about how you can trust Jesus or how you can know more about the mystery of God's plan revealed in the empty tomb, I would love to be a a helpful guide for you. Uh, After the service, if if you just go back to that next steps area I talked about, we we have a gift for you. It's actually a book. Uh, It's called Your Verdict on the Empty Tomb. It's by a man named uh, Val Grieve. It's uh, his journey to faith in Jesus, wrestling with this mystery of the empty tomb. Friend, this isn't just a theoretical thing. It happens to people. Every Christian that you meet has been changed by this mystery. And I would love nothing more than for that to happen to you this Easter Sunday morning. I want to just end our sermon this morning with a paragraph here from that book of a lived-in example of someone who looked into that mystery and was changed by the marvelous reality they saw. At this point, Val was at Oxford, studying to become a lawyer. He was not a Christian, but he began wrestling with the claims of Christianity when a friend struck up a conversation with him and started talking with him about Jesus. At first, he was able to use his legal maneuvers to fend off the things his friend was trying to confront him with, but little by little, he started to have a gnawing suspicion deep down within him. Could it be that what his friend was saying was true? This is what he says. On Easter Sunday morning, everything changed. I woke up in the morning of that day with no thoughts of Christ at at all in my mind. I was as full of this world as the next person. Then suddenly the thought came to me that on Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. He was alive. And I could come into contact with him. Something inexplicable happened to me. I suddenly knelt down and talked to Christ. Yes, to Christ. I suddenly knew he was living and that he was near to me and that he wanted to enter my life. I talked to him. I said, as far as I can remember, come into my life, Lord Jesus. As I said this, he came. Yes, he himself. I knew he was mine. A marvelous joy filled my life. Friends, what is Easter Sunday? It's a mystery with doors wide open, with a reality more marvelous than we could imagine. Jesus is alive. Let's pray.